Two minutes of injury time gone. The referee looked at the watch, and Sunderland have won the cup from the second division. What to say about today's podcast guest? Well, uh, time may be short, so I'm just going to introduce him as one of Britain's greatest ever songwriters, Sir Tim Rice. That's very kind of you. Hello, Tim, and welcome (laughs) to the podcast. Welcome back to the Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Brilliant. Uh, Some of our listeners may be thinking, well, this is fantastic. Tim Rice is is on the podcast, but what has he got to do with 10CC, which is our kind of core subject matter? Well, as it turns out, we hope quite a lot. Um, So we'll dive straight in. Um, One of the many interesting people Sean and I have met over the past year or so doing this podcast is Harvey Lisberg, um, irrepressible... uh, Impresario uh, during the 60s and, and later. And um, as I gather, Tim, you and Andrew did work with him in, in the mid 60s. Um, can you tell us about that at all? Well, I've known Harvey for quite a long time since we first met him in the 60s. Um, and it was really to do with Joseph, which at that point was very much just a school thing. And Harvey was very interested in Kennedy Street um, helping out with it. Um, it, I'm afraid the conversations didn't really get anywhere, um, despite Harvey's great enthusiasm, and not much happened with Joseph until quite a bit later. Um, so it was great to meet him. We went up to Manchester. We, you know, uh, this was the place where Herman's Hermits and Wayne Fontana and the Mindbenders had uh, got going. Um, yeah. And uh, but and, and I've and I've seen Harvey over the years quite a lot, including in Palm Springs. I think he had a place in Palm Springs for a while he, out, out he, in California. He's there at the moment, actually. He's kind of, yeah, he normally spends part of the year in England, but, you know, like everybody is, he's he's, he's stuck in Palm Springs, but... uh, Poor, poor, poor Harvey. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, well, if you speak to him, send him my very best. Um, so it was, it was a, it was frustrating in a way, probably for him more than more than it was for us. But we didn't really know what we were doing in those early days, um, and um, I can't honestly remember what what actually happened day by day. But I do remember going oh. up there and, and um, being very impressed by the um, Kennedy Street Empire and and and, and quite. You know, thrilled that, that, that there was some interest in us. And in the east, the dawn was breaking, and the world was waking. Any dream will do. 65, 66. Mm. Well, I, I was going to ask um, the earlier incarnation of Any Dream Will Do was I Fancy You, of course. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and did you try? Did you try and place that with with Herman's Herman's? No, view? well, what it was, um, Andrew and, and I were we'd, we'd only recently met, and we were um, we'd been working on a musical which never got anywhere called The Likes of Us.
then, of course, we began writing Joseph. Um, and But at the same time, we thought, well, people like Peter and Gordon and, you know, all, all these double acts, um, Chad and Jeremy, and we thought maybe we could write a few pop songs. Um, but we thought, in all honesty, we're probably not good enough to do them ourselves, even if the songs were good. And... Um, <clears throat> We Andrew had this lovely tune, ba 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 bam ba 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 bam bam da 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 da, and um, I I be- thought it would just suit Herman, you know, Peter mm-hmm. Noon, who I remain to this day a great Peter Noon fan, and um, uh, all I can remember about the lyric, I'm not even sure I completely finished it, but uh, but we decided that I fancy you was a good title. It was kind of in the you know, Mrs. Brown, you got a lovely daughter type feel. Yeah. Yes. And, and it would have been done that way. I fancy you. I think you're lovely, you know, and all that. <laughs> that, 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 that was how it began. And um, I, I, I don't think we ever finished it completely. So it obviously never got to Herman, but, um, or indeed the Hermits. But um, I worked at EMI in those early days um, as a sort of junior record company executive with the lowest possible ranking. And uh, every so often, EMI stars would come into the building. And it was terribly exciting. And and I was once in the gents having a pee next to Peter Noon. Wow. <laughs> that was a highlight of my first year at um, uh, EMI. And, I, and I, I, I thought, is this the moment to mention I fancy you? <laughs> Perhaps not. Not, <laughs> not, not for all kinds of reasons. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> out, out of context, that doesn't work, does it? No, exactly. So, um, uh, but, but, you know, he was, it was interesting because he was much taller than I imagined him to be. And I've right. met him once or twice since. I, I don't know Peter that well, but I have met him a few times in LA and things. And um, he is, it seems to me to be one of the most natural, charming blokes in, um, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the pop business. And he made, you know, some lovely records. Mm. You know, some really yes. Um, and, and I mean, I, I remember when the first one came out, I'm into something good. I thought, well, great record. But Herman's Hermits is not the sort of name that could sustain um, but it did, you know, they, mm. they, they had a huge number of hits in both here and in, and in America and not always the same ones, yes. you know, the tracks like Mrs. Brown, Henry VIII, Dandy, which never came out over here as singles. Mm. And yeah, you know, that's lots right. Of, lots of hits here, like My Sentimental Friend or, you know, things like that, which were big hits here, but never made it over there. Yes. Weird. Everyone was an Yes, curious. At times there were two, you thought, hang on, he's having hit different hits at the same time in different countries. Um, he's he's very talented. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a much underrated singer, I think, Peter Noon. And yeah, uh, yeah you mentioned the, the, the different discographies. Of course, Graham's Listen People was a massive hit in, in oh, the US. Yeah. I, I forgot that one. That was a, That's a great song. Yeah. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Why, why that was not released as a single in England, I don't know. I can understand why it was a big hit. Yes, you know, and, and it, it's it's rather a sad song, really. But it, it and I think the quality that Herman has um, or Peter has is that he's naturally very chirpy. So when he sings a sad song, it's got that little added, you know, you know, why is this happy guy not? I mean, if he sings a sad song, he really must must take quite an effort to do that emotionally. I mean, this is you know reading into the character of the song. I'm not saying that yes. was a film, mm. but but. Um, he had to act them very well, and, and yes. listen, people was, was, was one of those very cheerful. Listen, people, to what I say. I say, every 
But there's tremendous tenderness, isn't there, in yeah, in his yeah. delivery, and which which you know, you know, so many of Graham's Graham's great songs um, had that, you know, that 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 sort of slightly sad feeling occasionally to them. Mm. But um, there again, they had the very happy ones like Bus Stop, which is, um, you know, that that's great because that's like a mini musical in two and a half minutes. Fantastic. Oh, absolutely! Yes, it's, it's the such a songwriting economy, Tim, isn't there? There, mm, yeah, that's one of the skills that Graham has in abundance is getting over a message or an original idea in a very short space of time. Which is what you have to do, certainly in the um, singles market, but you have to do it everywhere. Really, you have. I mean, if even if you have a long musical, any one song has to get a point over pretty pronto. See the monkey. Exactly. Well, jump, talking of Graham and jumping to the other end of Tennessee's career, um, there's that uh, terrific song the two of you wrote, "The Monkey and the Onion." Oh yes. Uh, which I believe was a, a lyric that you'd already completed, Tim, and then sent it to Graham, and he set it. And that's well, that's quite quite an unusual way for you to work. Yes. In fact, um, I got to know Graham very well through through the Sods, the Society of Distinguished Songwriters, mm, um, right. and um, we became good mates. Um, and why he's not a knight or an OBE is beyond me, but I'm, I'm sure that will happen. Mm. Um, but uh, it's because he's very self-effacing and he's a modest guy. Yes, um, but um, Monkey in the Onion, I had this, when I was in Japan for, I think, a Vita, I was Japanese um, friend of ours over there, told this legend or, or this kind of very well-known oriental story about a, um, a monkey who has got an onion and it makes him cry and he doesn't understand why so he peels off each layer of the onion and eventually he peels it completely and he stops crying but he's got no onion <laughs> yeah. nothing is quite the joy it seems. and it's like I mean, you can take lots of messages from that, but the, but, the, but the story appealed to me. It's like if you dig in, if you investigate something too much, as this is just one version of it, if, if you look into something with too great detail, you might destroy the very thing you're, you're impressed by or moved by. And I rather like this, and, and, and I jotted down, I thought The Monkey and the Onion's a nice title for a song. And I, I think I must have mentioned it to Graham at some SODS meeting or whatever. And I said, I've got this idea, and I drafted out a few. I don't think I'd completely written the lyric, but he said, well, send me your idea. And I thought, well, I might as well write the full lyric now. Mm. Right. And I did, and, and, and to my great excitement, it was recorded by 10CC um, and came out, ironically, first on a, on a, on a, on a Japanese release. That's right. And in those days, I suppose we're talking, I can't remember when we did it, it must have been the 80s, but... In Japanese albums in those days were beautifully packaged. Mm. They had, you know, they were usually all gatefold and they had booklets and everything. And so it's one of my prized possessions is is, is that Japanese mm. copy of, of, of and, and that song. Oh, that we could be 
it's a nice song. I'm, I do a podcast every every week and I'm trying to play stuff that people might not know. And mm. that's an absolute candidate. I've, I've, I've got quite a few songs that I've written with great songwriters like Graham or Richard Kerr, people like that. And it's, it's an opportunity for me to say, look, it's not just about a few hits. We, you know, which we're all very grateful for when we, when, we, when we have hits. But I think people like Graham would agree that some of their favourite songs are ones that nobody really knows. Yes. And had they been, I mean, had they been in a, in a, in a, in a successful film or, or following up a number one hit or something, they might have been massive successes as well. There's a lot of luck in these things. No, absolutely. And it's a, a beautiful, beautiful song, Tim. Uh, it always brings a lump to my throat, actually. I love that metaphor is just so powerful. I was reminded, actually, listening to Jesus Christ Superstar yesterday, uh, and there's a line in there, um, strip away the myth from the man. And I wanted to ask you whether there's a, some kind of parallel between that idea and what you're exploring in monkey and the onion where you're if you like you're delving right down to the nub of what it is to be human if you strip away the myth from the man you will see where we all soon will be I've never thought of that comparison before. It's an interesting one. And I guess I was kind of saying the same thing in both lyrics. Mm. But the, the first one, Myth, Myth from the Man, was, was really kind of written as a specific. It was Judas Iscariot specifically saying, this has got out of control. He's not a god. He's a bloke. He's a great bloke. But strip away the myth and, 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 and then, you, then you get the truth. And I suppose now you mention it that that to a great extent that was what i was saying in or what the monkey and the onion was saying both in its original form as a as a japanese story and and in the song if you strip away you you but you you often don't get to the truth that's the problem if you mm. analyze too much you're left with nothing and it's it's it's, it's interesting I, I i really hadn't thought of that comparison before but now every time i hear if you strip away <laughs> the man, i'm gonna think of the monkey and the onion <laughs> <laughs> well that's no bad yeah. thing i i, I think Every word you say today is twisted round some other way and they'll hurt you if they think you lied it's the kind of it's the kind of converse of uh, if it if it ain't broke don't fix it isn't in a way that, yeah. that whole yeah. song yeah <laughs> Something else um, amusing that I found on my travels recently, Tim, was um, discovering songs of cricket um, from, what, about 10 years ago, something like that? And um, to, my, to my amusement, I see that Eric and Graham are performing on the opening number. Is that right? Can you tell us about that? Another golden afternoon An idyllic sporting scene A tapestry in green Willow hero Morning, everyone, and what a great day's playing prospect here at the SCG. I was walking down the street, concentrating on trucking right. I heard a dark voice beside of me, and 
I look round in a state of fright. Ah, oh, hang on. Well, cricket, the, the musical or the, the thing I wrote with Andrew. Um, well, I, I, I was listening on Spotify, actually, and it's a performance of, of, of your cricket songs. Uh, and the opening number is a, is a kind of compendium of medleys. You've got the wonderful test cricket theme, the kind of Jamaican thing. And then there's a little kind of parody of, of Dreadlock Holiday with what sounds like Graham's lead vocal. It was a well, real surprise. I, I, I don't think that's anything to do with me. Okay. I'm, I'm going to look that up because Andrew and I wrote a mini musical, a little um, sort of operetta, oratorio. Yes. Um, in 1986. And it was never recorded, really, to my annoyance, because, I mean, I didn't think it was going to be a number one. And I say, I don't like cricket. were very good went into subsequent shows like phantom and um sunset boulevard and every so often i hear a new andrew show i think oh yes that was in cricket originally yes. <laughs> um, but uh i i'm slightly baffled by that i think there's there's um i mean obviously dreadlock holiday is 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 one of the most famous songs that mentions cricket hmm. and what a great song that is um and i've got a t-shirt which i quite often sleep in which says i don't like cricket and then on the back it goes i love it <laughs> I, actually i think that must have been given to me by, by graham at, at, when i went to a 10 cc concert i think yeah um, or I, I probably bought it for two pound fifty or something <laughs> but, but it's one of my favorite favorite bits of nightwear <laughs> oh brilliant uh, but, but i'm slightly baffled by that i must look it up because i don't remember um graham and eric um ever doing something directly with with our our songs but maybe they did. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll send you. A, I'll send you a link, um, and you can. Okay, no, please do. That would be great. I went to Strawberry Studios um, once, and we recorded some tracks for Blondel, which was the musical I wrote with Stephen Oliver, which didn't do that okay. well. But it was a fun show, and we recorded some of it in um, Strawberry because we were up there. Um, the show was running in Manchester. The least of my trouble, it's right here beside me. And you deserve more than my dreams for the That's very interesting. Uh, we keep finding people who have recorded in Strawberry that we didn't know about. Um, uh, you, you, you're on that list now. And ABBA as well recorded, not for a record as such. I think it was in the days when you performed on Top of the Pops and you had to redo oh, yeah. a backing track for Musicians Union purposes. And I think they, they actually recorded a version of Waterloo in Strawberry, which we were amazed about. Wow. But there you go. Yeah, absolutely. So um, were you at Strawberry then, Tim? Were you... Was your session engineered by the usual crew, you know, Eric Stewart and, and his sidekick, uh, Pete Tattersall? I think, Do I, don't remember, I, I don't remember Eric being there. I remember meeting Eric, um, the, the, the longest time I've ever spent with Eric, as far as I can remember, was in Sweden, funnily enough. You just mentioned ABBA. Um, when I was over there working on chess, this would have been in 84, 5, and, and Eric was doing a concert I'm with, with um, 10CC, with touring. You and I, we've been around, been around. You know, yes, terribly. Well, fine. I mean, yeah. I, I, I see that you do. All I can say is that it never struck me that that was remotely a rhyme because I and desire just don't rhyme. But if you sing, I desire. 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 Desire.
don't remember. It's a bit difficult. It sounds people say, well, he, he, you know, the famous guy, you must remember when you met him. But after awesome. a while in this business, you, you can't even remember if you've ever met people. You know? <laughs> yes. I, I mean, you know, like I mean, there are some people who I don't think I've ever met, even though they're very famous. You can't quite remember whether you've met them or you've just seen them so often on television. You know, <laughs> it's, it's difficult to know. But um, I certainly remember meeting Eric in Sweden and, and having a, I think we had um, a nice dinner with, with, I can't remember who else was there. There was definitely one or two other people. I don't think Graham was on there on that occasion. But um, uh, I don't think Eric was in the, was in the session. It would, that would have been 83 and Blondel, or 82 even, and Blondel... Um, was was as I said playing in Manchester, and we recorded. I think we recorded a track of a single version of one of the songs, um, mm-hmm. and it was it was a great studio. I can't quite. I, it might have been Peter Tattersall in the in the in the chair. Ladies and gentlemen, right now, right here, I give you the fabulous Blondes. Let's move on. Tim, can we talk about uh, consequences? This was our, our starting point for doing the podcast, the Godly and Cream triple album consequences that caused a split. Um, and, and it's customary for us to always, you know, ask our guests about the album. Um, are you fam- familiar with that work? Uh, and the reason I ask is, you know, as a as a producer and writer and purveyor of great concept albums yourself, mm. which sometimes have been a little misunderstood, I'm talking about, Chess, Evita, and Jesus Christ Superstar, and I think they can legitimately be labelled concept albums. Whether you had any um, knowledge or any thoughts on consequences from 1977? Well, I, I remember the album. I'm, I don't think, to my shame, I've actually got a copy. I remember, it reminds me of driving in the car when I first heard an interview with, if I'm allowed to mention them, Godly and Cream. And it wasn't wasn't there some gadget they they they'd invented that's gizmo right. or something? Yeah, the Gizmotron. The, that's right, the Gizmotron. And they were talking about that, and it seemed to me interesting though it was. It seemed to me that the the, the, the aspects of, of 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 the whole enterprise were more concerned with the electronics and the and the gadgets than with the songs. And I, to be honest, I can't really comment fairly on the album, which is an album I should really get because it's obviously a very interesting one. And hmm. uh, I would I would like to listen to it with with fresh ears sometimes you can go back to something that's 30 or 40 years old and it just sounds completely different often better mm. um and i for some reason i never really got into it at the time i'd like to apologize now to everybody involved <laughs> with that album but i can't listen to everything i mean you know <laughs> paper lace had a great album out at the same time <laughs> well we we'd recommend you go in this order consequences then paper lace with, with, with no <laughs> Nigel, why did you leave us? We didn't mean to. It is 
It's a beautiful work, Tim, and uh, even though it's it's hard work, um, no, and, and I, I guess it's Marmite because you know it's it's two symphonies kind of sandwiched around a Peter Cook playlet. Um, yep. So yeah, no, it's it's, yeah, I do it's not for everybody. Yeah. No, well, I'm I'm a great Peter Cook fan. I I, I mean, it sounds awfully weird because I'm actually not where my record collection is at the moment. I might even have it, but I'm not convinced I have. Mm. Was, it, was, was it a black cover? Was yes. it a, yeah, that's, that's right. right. Yeah. A very lavishly... Yes, uh, perhaps I have got it. I must, I must go and check when I, when I, when I, when I get home. I shall have a, have a look. But We'd love shall, to know how you get on with it. In the meantime, I'm going to order it today on vinyl, <laughs> if I can get it on vinyl. Because uh, the packaging is one of the... Um, key things it might be difficult but i'd certainly like to hear it yes fantastic good luck with that thank you <laughs> this is a bit of arcane trivia but going back to consequences um, in September 76, and apologies if this is asking you about something you may not remember, but uh, Paul McCartney hosted his first Buddy Holly. Um, yeah, yeah, I went to that. Mm, Yes, yeah. I, know, I know you were there. There's, there's, there's pictures of you. That, that's why I'm, I'm not really? just mentioning it at random. But um, uh, that was, from our point of view, as 10CC would be historians, it's important because it was the last, last ever appearance of, of 10CC before they split. I just wondered, is, do you remember meeting him at that point? Or, uh... Well, I'm sure I did. I remember it was a, it was a very good, it was, it, was, it was a lunch, basically, wasn't it? And um, I yeah. think that was the one, because Paul had quite a few of these bashes in subsequent years, and I think it was the one where um, Norman Petty of the Crickets fame, hmm. um, the Buddy yes. Holly producer and alleged songwriter. Um, in fact, to be fair, you know, he, he was, he was a... Um, Great, great producer, and had um, you know written, written, written some great stuff um, before even Buddy came along. But um, I remember it was a very long lunch, and uh, <laughs> probably about five o'clock. I probably met everybody, but I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, but it, it's difficult to see because someone like Graham, who I've got to know pretty well, I, I you know met him so many times, and you know if I ran into him in the street, it would be, hi, hello, and, you know, instant. But sometimes you think, well, how well have I, how well do I know these people? I mean, and, and do I really know them well or do I know them just because they're famous, you know, or, mm -hmm. or it's, it's difficult. I don't remember specifically that much about that day, except I had a very good time. Okay, well, that's good. And I know you like arcane pop trivia, and uh, here's <laughs> a piece of trivia for you about that day, which you may know already. Stephen Bishop, who attended that event with Eric Clapton, said that whilst um, Eric was waiting for Patty to get ready, he wrote "Wonderful Tonight" on the way. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, supposedly, on on you know, at, just before that, "Do" that great song was written as well. So that sort wow. of feeds in. Do I look all right? And I say yes. Do I 
No, Stephen Bishop. I remember meeting him. Yes, what was his big hit? I, I, my brain's gone, but he had a. I can't remember movie. either. Mm. I mean, he had lots of um, successful stuff, and he writing for films as well. Nice chap. Um, and for some reason, I ran into him two or three times. He came up to Capital Radio a bit, and I was doing a show on Capital Radio at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but that was a do. I mean, Elton John was at that bash as well. Yeah, and I Queen. Remember. And there's yeah. there's a great there's a great picture with you know like a team photo with all the. Uh, all the great personalities yeah, from totally. know, 1970s pop. Absolutely. So. And talking of personalities, Paul, you were going to ask a question about the TV programme. Uh, I, mean, I remember it for that wonderful, controversial interview about Life of Brian. Um, but, Paul, you had a specific question, didn't you, about Kevin and, Kevin and Lowell? Uh, yes, this is Friday night, Saturday morning, Tim, that you it had a kind of... Uh, yeah. Rotating host, if you like, but you hosted it on several occasions, and I don't need to tell you that the the most uh, um, well remembered was that sort of epic battle between Cleese Palin on one side and uh, <laughs> Malcolm Muggeridge and what was it, the Bishop of Southwark on the other. It's a classic, John. This is important. You put so much pressure on yourself. It's only a chat show. Well, it's not, though, is it? This is about the future of comedy. It might even be about the future of religion. Well, I wish I believed we were that important, Mike, but I don't. Well, if we're not, why are so many people protesting against us? Tim! This is your host for the evening, Tim Rice. Hello, guys. Hi. Wow, thanks so much for coming on the show. Listen, obviously, my role is to be impartial, but I just want to say I know exactly what you're going through. When we did Jesus Christ Superstar in 1971, it was accused of blasphemy. Admittedly, I did co-write it with Beelzebub. <laughs> now, of course, it's the height of respectability. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't mind having a hit musical. It's got we worth a few quid, eh? If only I had an idea for one. Well, you could always do what we did, lovingly rip off a story that already exists. It's an amazing thing because it gets re-shown a lot, and there was even a dramatic version of it in which somebody yes, played me. Yes, Weirdly, it was called um, Tom Price, I think, or Tim Yes, Price, yes, yeah. sir. Yeah. And um, it, I, I, the first half of the show, I mean, people forget or never knew that the first half of the show was um, Paul Jones. I was interviewing Paul Jones and right. Norris McWhorter. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, right. uh, two, two very nice people. Paul Jones, great, great singer who I've worked with a lot over the years. And Norris McWhorter, who founded the Guinness Book of Records, which when I was about yeah. eight was my Bible. And then the second half we had... Um, John and Michael of Python and, and Malcolm Marge. And I thought, well, that's going to be interesting, but you know, the whole show is going to be great. But of course, the first half of the show, which was fine, <laughs> completely yeah. forgotten. And, um, but I did think when Python, Life of Brown came on, um, the conversation, I thought, well, um, I will be able to contribute something to this because I wrote Jesus Christ Superstar with Andrew and mm. Jesus Christ Superstar caused just the same sort of fuss at the time, mm. exactly sure. as years before. And I was going to say something astute and wise, like, well, of course, we've been through all this before. Jesus Christ Superstar got attacked and the people who attacked it um, attacked it without often having seen it and attacked it for not mentioning the resurrection which we was not denying we just didn't get up to that point of the story it was judas's view blah 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 
And of course, they got at each other hammer and tongs, and I never got a word in edgeways. I mean, I was simultaneously <laughs> the worst interviewer or the worst host of all time. But in a way, I was the best host of all time because I kept my trap shut. Yeah. Um, I, I thought, well, if the conversation flags, I'll come in with my superstar bit. You know, well, of course, in 1971 or 1970, uh, we had this problem with superstar. But I never, I never got a chance to say it. <laughs> yes. All your followers are blind. Heaven on their minds. It was beautiful, but now it's sour. Yes, it's God's hour. I mean, it was, it, was, it, was, it was quite a nice thing to have been involved with and witnessed it firsthand. And mm. um, I, I wouldn't say I'm a close personal friend, but I've, I've, I've known John and Michael over the years, and um, uh, we often just mention that in passing. And, mm. um, uh, I mean, Michael Palin is, 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 as everybody says, he really is a nice guy. He's yes. delightful. And, and John, <laughs> just, John is lovely, and he's one of the most um, eccentric, in, and I mean that as a great compliment. He's one of the most eccentric, um, original entertainers of all time. I mean, the, plus the other guys. I mean, what a lineup. Yeah. You know, yeah. Eric, Terry, you know, um, I mean, it was, it, was, it was just something that, that, that just, just worked really well. Sure. Well, that that obviously that was the best known interview. But um, you, you did interview Kevin Lowell. Um, I was looking on Wikipedia, yeah. and I think it was early in '82. The reason I remember that was um, you talked. I can't remember exactly what you talked about, but you showed a couple of their videos. An Englishman in New York, which is which was quite widely seen, but the one I'd never seen before and blew me away was Wide Boy. I don't know whether you recall that. But it's a really, it's a groundbreaking video of kind of stop motion. Can you explain that, Sean? Because you, you, you've got a good way of explaining it's, the way it's, that works. It's a wonderful technique where they, um, as a transition from one shot to another on the video, they'd cut to a still photo of, of that frame, printed out massively about 20 feet wide, and then they'd film themselves bursting through that, that still photo to create a transition into the next scene. I, I have to say, I mean, I, 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 I mean, they, they, they've done so many great visual um, things, you know. Yes. And the word, word is video or film. Yeah. Um, um, I must look that one up. I'm, I'm only going to write it down, Wide Boy. Yeah. Wide Boy. It's, it's also a great <laughs> single. Didn't chart, but it's, no, um, yeah. I mean, yes, that's it. The song, I, I'm afraid to share this. I don't actually remember the song, but. Very few I, do. I, they did. They did girls on film, didn't they? And and and, yes. and, 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 and you know a lot of big hits for other people. Yeah. Um, I mean, they were they were well, they remain great visual artists as well as musical ones. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Like all of Ten CC, the the, the 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 breadth of their talent and the different areas they have yeah. worked in is is astounding. And that that's one of the reasons we're doing this podcast because there's so much to uncover and discover. You know, they've collaborated with so many people as well. And we feel they're a little bit overlooked. Mm. I, I, you're right. It's ridiculous. Um, they, 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 they really are, you know, Premier League. They're, they're right at the top. And uh, um, a lot of people know that, of course. But um, I think, you know, the, 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 has there been a, an incredibly huge box set or whatever of, of everything they've ever done? I mean, not, not kind of. Know, the visuals, you know, I mean, obviously, there have been greatest hits packages and everything, but... Mm. Uh, no, they 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 are an outstanding. I mean, unit really of of 
I mean, obviously, like 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 all creative units, there are problems and splits and people going in different directions. But yeah. um, if 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 you if you put them all together, um, their their contribution, both individually and separately and as a unit, is is phenomenal. Yes. Very few, very very few groups, to use an old-fashioned word. Very very few groups. Um, I mean, they are a group as well as being a band. I mean, as a band, they entertain brilliantly, but as a group, they are they embrace so many aspects of, of, of the arts. Very, very great act. Absolutely. Well, yes. well said, Tim. Well said. Thank you very much. Can I um, ask, uh, as a cheeky footnote, I suppose, really... Um, I was really entertained uh, listening to Rick Wakeman's 1984 album that you oh, wrote yes. lyrics yeah. for. I love your vocal performance on Proles. Where you do your best kind of... <laughs> You, you kind of do a, 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 a... Yes, exactly. Mick Jagger meets Johnny Rotten. That's exactly what I wrote down. I love oh. that. And as, as a kind of... As a little coda for our podcast, Tim, can you point us in the direction of perhaps a, a lesser-known vocal performance that you would have committed to tape? Well, that's pretty lesser-known. Um, I, <laughs> I think I did two tracks on that as well. There was... Um, I can't remember. One was called Proles. Um, I don't know. What else have I done? I, I, I did a... A, a ballad which I wrote the tune for as well called Hey Love, What a Way to Spend the Night mm-hmm. um, which came out on DJM um, and flopped and I also recorded under the name of Huddersfield Transit Authority a version of Lowell <laughs> Shannon's Runaway wow. that came out in about 1972 and that flopped and then I, we followed up with um, the Huddersfield Transit Authority I had this plan that they were going to be like Chicago Transit Authority then they would drop the Transit Authority and <laughs> just be called Huddersfield, Huddersfield. <laughs> And of course, they all they did was two singles. The second single, Runaway, nearly made it. Um, I think if there'd been a top seventy-five, then it would have been at about sixty-three. But Tony Blackburn played it on. I remember on Radio One, which was quite exciting. And um, then we did a cover of Mike Nesmith's wonderful song, "Different Drum," mm. oh, yeah. which Linda Ronstadt had a hit with in America with the Stone Ponies. Um, great, great song. So those are my only vocals. I can't remember. I've, I've, oh, I did a quite a good version of Not Fade Away as well. Ah, okay. That, but that was on Chrysalis. And a friend of mine called Roger Watson at Chrysalis had made a track of Not Fade Away. And the singer who was going to sing it, who I think was Sean Bean, ah. um, who was the actor. I, I, really? I, I think it was. I'm not sure. I may have got that wrong. But anyway, whoever the singer was revealed at the last minute that he was technically under contract to somebody else, Decker mm-hmm. or something. Mm. And so Roger was left with his track and no vocal. And he asked me if I'd like to stick a vocal on it. And it was not fade away. I'm going to tell you how it's going to be. And all that. And I, I recorded it. 
with was great fun and it came out as an a side <laughs> and 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 i wrote a little country and western tune for the flip and that was also a flop so uh, i mean there's definitely a a, a a double you know double album of t rice vocal flops but if you were ever mad enough to find one to play i would recommend um apart from the rick wakeman stuff uh i would say not fade away um would, would, would be quite a good one to do fabulous all right the, your, your wish is our command there's so there's so many. I don't know whether you're aware of this, Sean. There's so many weird and wonderful singles that that Tim and Andrew in the early days worked on. I mean, there was another track, which I think you sing, Tim, which is which is something weird about the commenting on the legal battle for Beatles publishing rights between Robert oh, Stigwood and well, that that was we were fooling around in the studio, um, right. uh, and we had a track which never made it. Um, onto Superstar. So it's the oh. Grease Band. And um, oh, okay. I was putting a cod vocal on in order to just demonstrate the vocal line of the tune. And there was an article in Billboard um, about Paul McCartney trying to stop legally Sergeant Pepper. There was a right. Robert Stigwood who we were, we were looked after by. Robert Stigwood was attempting to produce a stage version of Sergeant oh, Pepper. Yes, right, right. Which I think in the end he did, or somebody did, but it didn't work. Um, mm. Songs are magnificent, but there's no real storyline, and you've mm. got to have a great story for a show, however good the songs. Anyway, there was this little piece in Billboard magazine which began Paul McCartney has announced he will take all necessary steps to prevent the stage production of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band recently announced by Robert Stigler or something. And it seemed yes. to fit the tune. So I just sang <laughs> this, this, this article and it fitted. Um, and at the end, uh, Alan, Alan Spenner and Bruce um, Rowland of the Grease Band, they, they thought it was very funny. And, and we kept that vocal and we never used the tune in Superstar. Um, I don't know mm. whether you must have gone into something. Da, 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 da. I'm not sure it ever did. Anyway, when Andrew, Andrew put out some package of, um, a Lloyd Webber greatest hits or something, and um, there was a, there was a, a part four was you know trivia and, and forgotten stuff, and they put this yeah. out. Yeah, that's where and, I got and, it. <laughs> and, we, and we called it the Ballad of uh, Robert and Peter because Peter Brown. So it was a the title was a spoof of the Ballad of John and Yoko. It's actually <laughs> nice. quite funny. Paul McCartney has announced he will take all necessary steps to prevent the stage production of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club and <laughs> I'd love to, love to hear it's that. Good well, it, because the Grease Band, you know, Joe Cocker's old lot, they were fantastic. And they were the oh, guys who played on Jesus Christ Superstar mm -hmm. album. And um, they were really... I mean, what a great band we had. I mean, I always oh, yeah. slightly miffed when people's never, if there was a thing of the best 500 rock albums of all time, Superstar's never there mm. because yes. people don't realise or forgotten that it's truly rock. Mm. And um, well, yeah. I would think it would certainly make the top 100 of any sane... Oh, band. yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's, almost, it's, almost, it's almost metal at times. It's... Yeah, definitely. There's, there's metal, there's prog in there. I, I love it. Yeah. Great. Well, that, that's going back to what we said earlier, Tim, that... Um, I'm certainly um, um, of the opinion that, you know, the, those great albums, um, Superstar and Evita and Chess, work as concept albums. I mean, I personally am a record man. I know they were 
in no, invented I'm, I'm for the stage. But to me, I, I just the record is where it's at. So I know they had a history after. But uh, I'm, I'm I'm with you there, Paul. When when I was a kid, my mum and dad had all the show albums. You know, right. My Fair Lady, Oklahoma, South Pacific, and I loved them. But I had no real desire to go and see the show. Mm. Not yeah. that I could have done because we didn't live in London and it was, you know, in those days, going to London was like going to the moon. Um, but but it was, even though I, I, I suppose if I'd really wanted to go and see My Fair Lady, which in the end I did actually, as it happened, but I, I could have pestered my parents and they, and they might have said, oh, well, all right, we'll go. But I was happy with the albums. I, I learned every mm. song off my heart. I looked at the label, the, mm. the, all the little things on the label, the sleeve notes. That was enough. I was a vinyl junkie and I still am. And so when we did Superstar as an album, I kind of felt that's the best version. No one would talk yeah. about Why can't the English teach their children how to speak? This verbal class distinction by now should be antique. If you spoke as she does, sir, instead of the way you do, why you might be in selling flowers too. I beg your pardon, sir. And ditto with chess, most definitely, especially with chess. Chess is a very hard thing to stage. It has been staged well, and, and, and the piece retains great popularity, and I think it will be around for a long time. But... To get the real experience, it, it's it's the, the album you have to listen to. Mm. And it yeah. makes total sense. People say, we can't understand the story. Well, you can if you read the lyrics on the album. It's not, yes. it's not, it doesn't, just, just doesn't require, you know, brain surgery to understand chess. We're, we're coming up to 11.45, Tim. So yeah, I've got a, well, I've had a couple of calls, and I know that they're saying, where are you, and all that, waiting right? in the wings. Okay. Yes. I'm talking about something far more important than whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, thank you so much for your time. We've loved this. It's, uh, it's, been, it's been an absolute thrill for us. Well, if you um, speak to Graham and Eric in the next you know, few days or weeks, please send them my love, and I look forward to seeing, seeing them both soon, if we ever get out of this ghastly situation we're all in. Absolutely. Well, well said. Many Sean and Paul, that's great. Fantastic, Tim. Many thanks, Tim. Take, Take care, care of yourself. Okay, all the best. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, you guys, here we go for the final take. Are you ready, Harold? Yes, I'm more than ready, Julian. Uh, are you ready, Teddy? I'm ready to take over. <laughs> now, remember, this is it. This has got to be the big one, the nitty-gritty, your very own record. And this has got to be a smash. We spent lots and lots of money on it. You've got equal time and you'll both be on the label. been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening